true peace. This can only come to be when one really understands there's a plurality in the world. We are not all the same. And to use our learning to so one can mimic the other is in no way contributing to shalom. This Pardes Life is an original podcast production from the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies. For more original Torah content, please visit www.elmad.pardes.org. E-L-M-A-D.pardes.org. Okay, hello everybody. Welcome to uh, another edition, a wonderful edition of uh, This Pardes Life. My name is Tzvi Hirschfeld. I'm a faculty member here at Pardes, and it is my privilege and pleasure to be learning with one of Pardes's newest faculty members, uh, Yiska Smith, who started teaching at Pardes this year, I believe at least as a formal class. In addition to being a Pardes teacher, uh, Yiska has influenced countless numbers of people as a spiritual mentor, as a speaker. She can be contacted through the Jewish Speakers Bureau if you'd like to bring her to your community. Uh, She has been a student of Torah and Hasidut uh, for 45 years, uh, and today we're going to be studying uh, some of her favorite texts. So welcome, and I'm sure it's going to be great. Welcome to you. you. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here. Okay, let's begin. Tell us what you've brought for us today to learn. I have a few excerpts from Rav Cook. Uh, for those who may not know, Rav Cook was the Rav Avraham Yitzhak HaKohen Cook, was the first chief rabbi of pre-state Israel. He passed away here in Yerushalayim in 1935. So he he was he did not live to see the actual Hakamat Medinat Yisrael, the actual formation of the political state of Israel. But in his vision, he was already able to see that happening in the future. And I have a few excerpts that have really inspired my own personal soul journey to in a very, very big way. In a profound way, actually. Okay, it sounds great. Let's yeah. jump in, and we can uh, we'll read and study this first pas- passage together. Go ahead. Yes, okay, I would love to. This is probably my most favorite. So he says as follows: Yesh ben Chorin shirucho rach shel eved. So there can be a free person whose spirit, though, is the spirit of enslavement. V'yesh eved shirucho malei chirut. And there can also be someone who's enslaved, but has the spirit that is filled with freedom. He then continues, A person who is faithful to one's inner essence, meaning, meaning the very, the very spiritual aspect of the person being created in the image of God that's within him, if that's what the person is faithful to, ben chorin hu, then he's considered to be a free person. Umi shekochayav, however, someone who's all, all of one's life, heim rak acharim, who lives one's life where that which is considered to be good and beautiful is only in the eyes of others, hul eved, that person is experiencing spiritual enslavement. Okay, so before we get to your personal take, I I have some questions here that uh, I would like to 
talk out with you. I guess the first one is, how do you think Rav Cook understood our ability to distinguish between this inner godly essence and all the other thoughts and feelings and motivations in me that might not be so godly? Well, what I've learned from his teachings is it requires giving one's not only learning text, but giving oneself time after one closes the book, so to speak, to reflect on it, to really become aware of oneself, to know oneself more. So one needs to, it's part of the Avodah Ruchanit, spiritual practice, to identify if a desire, a wish, a want of mine is coming from an ego-based space, because we all have egos, which is more limiting, or from an infinite, more godly place. And that exactly is the challenge of living a spiritual life, according to Rav Cook. And it sounds like you're saying Torah plays a role in that, but just cognitively knowing Torah is not going to be sufficient. To the Exactly, and to the contrary, that amassing a lot of quantity of Torah may appease or satisfy the ego, but that, necessar- that not necessarily will help one understand how to be more faithful to one's essence. And the other question that came up for me, and it's probably an obvious question, is Rav Cook as an Orthodox rabbi loyal to halacha. What do you imagine he advises someone who truly hears their inner essence in one direction, but hears the voice of halacha in tradition in another direction? I would like to think, as how, how I do understand in my limited way, Rav Cook, that he believes everyone undergoes that struggle. He had very, what I like to think of as very long arms, meaning he was able to touch areas within pre-Medinat Yisrael, pockets of population here, where some people were very committed, very ultra-ultra, what we would call Haredim, ultra-Orthodox, and yet... A second later, he'd befriend and he would be able to connect to people who were draining the swamps from malaria in the Galil, and he had he was able to just flow back and forth to these all these different type of communities, and he was able to see what they shared in common. Was so it, it sounds like he trusted in the end that if people were faithful to this process, it was somehow all going to come together. That the the uh, the goals of Torah and the goals of the individual would somehow meet in this journey at some point. Yes, because it's nothing. He does not believe this is something we need to import rather, you know, from outside of ourselves. Rather, it's a self-discovery. It's in us. We were created, each and every individual, no more, no less than anyone else in the image of God. It behooves us to actually discover that peace inside of us. And in that way, we're all on the same playing field. So the Torah within and the Torah without ultimately are going to unite Absolutely, some level. Exactly, yes. He uses the Torah, all the body of knowledge of Torah Shebenigla, the Talmud, the Gemara, the codes, the, the Tanakh with the commentaries, all of it is to help us access the deeper part of us which in fact is this Selim Elohim inside of us. Beautiful. And how has this text helped you or guided you, do you think? Or even day to day, how does this text help guide you? Well, it keeps, it's a check and balance for me. It's really, it has become, at one time it served as a very strong point for me to make certain decisions 
where I made some major changes in my life to begin to honor my inner essence. And this really spoke to me. What I do now, though, is every day, if not every day, I try to remember every day this teaching, I ask myself, am I being faithful? That's a very, that's the operating word here, ne'aman. It's a very powerful word because we talk about in all of our human relationships, many of us speak to being faithful. And here he's saying to the individual, one needs to be faithful to one's own self. How many of us really look into the spiritual mirror and ask that question? So for me, it's a check and balance. Is my behavior ego-based from a place of scarcity, a place of fear, to be loved, to be appreciated, to be wanted? Or am I really getting in touch with being faithful to the, the deep part of me that's creating the image of God? Wow, that's very powerful. I think for myself, what I know I still find so difficult, this idea of doing what's good in the eyes of others. I feel like so much, as myself, I didn't grow up religious, and even becoming observant was so much about trying to fit in to what others said was religious. And certainly my experience in yeshiva, as much as I value it to this day and appreciate it, it was so driven by trying to live up to this other model and Still to this day, uh, the voice in my head that's always saying, you know, you're not living up to this, you're not living up to that, uh, it's a burden. It's a very difficult thing. It's given me a lot as a tool, I think, to push me, but I also have a sense that it's gotten in my way. Yeah, and there is a tension. There's a, a healthy tension. It's like walking on the tightrope between inner, between the sense of like one's own independence and and being with community, being with the rest of humanity. I believe what Ralph Cook is saying is for me to really be present, for me to give people outside of me my best, I need to be authentic. I need to be real with myself. So if everything I'm doing, everything I'm saying is because that's what you believe is right and you believe is nice, well, then the person that you think you're liking is not really me. It's just another image of you. And that's what he wants. That is spiritual avodah zarah. That is spiritually worshiping other gods. I'm empowering something other than my devotion to God to have that type of power over me to such a degree it actually decides my behavior. Beautiful, beautiful. Should we go on to the second source? Oh, sure, Terrific. Sure. Because the second really, although it was written much earlier, um, no, actually it was written much later, excuse me, the second source you could see later in his life, it was written shortly before he passed away. In 19, he passed away in 1935. This was written in 1933. So it's almost like I picture him in his little study, which one can see today. And when one's in Yerushalayim, you can go to Rehov HaRav Kook, which I don't think was called Rehov HaRav Kook when he Probably lived there. <laughs> but you can go into the Rav's house and you can see the study where he actually wrote this Pinkas Yerushalayim, this Jerusalem booklet. This is the fourth entry in, written in 1933, and it teaches as follows. Every person has their particular, their own maslul, their own path. And through it, the person can come 
to this inner sense of joy. It's not just like a fleeting moment of happiness, but osher is there's a sense of serenity inside of me. And also the tachlit haviyato, to the purpose for which I was created. And shabo, and through one's own path, one can come who mit davek liyotzo. I can become closer. I can actually be cleaving to, the, to my creator. That's my maslul. Now, the tendency is to copy other people's, another person's maslul. So he continues and teaches and says the following. Meaning path. Path, I'm sorry, path, yes. Okay. One cannot come to fulfill the purpose of wherever it is he wants in life through someone else's path. It will not it will not happen according to Rav Kook. Even if the Maslul that let's say Tzvi has or someone else has is a beautiful Maslul, it's not mine. There's nothing wrong with your Maslul for you. But it's not it's almost like I'm spiritually stealing if I try to this is my understanding. It's almost like I'm spiritually stealing your path for me. And, there, and Rav Cook cautions against that, not because, again, and I have to emphasize how I've learned this, not because someone else's maslul is wrong or bad, it's just not mine. And then he continues and says even further, Each person must really value highly. The word mokir is to value as being precious one's particular own path. So a couple of things come to my mind. I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on it. Number one, I know I, I feel like in many ways the whole idea of an Evid Hashem, a servant of God, is to not think about one's own needs, but to think about what God wants. And I've always wondered, where, what is the role of personal happiness uh, within that tension? Here, Rav Cook seems to be saying that my own personal happiness is really important. So, well, it's not just personal happiness to be in the mood of being happy. It's to find within oneself that my will becomes is God's will and God's will be is my will, which there's a perke avot to that teaching. So I, God does want me to, in fact, address me in order to be in relationship with God in a more authentic way. I really would love to share, if I may, a piece of Gemara that this addresses as well. Please, go for it. Okay. We like Gemara here. Yeah. yeah, right. So in Masechet Senhedrin, in Daf Lamad Zayin Amud Aleph, in page 37, side A, there's a beautiful discussion among Chazal, among the sages, why was Adam, the Adam HaRishon, the only creation created in the singular? You know, when God created the birds, there was a whole flock of birds. When the, the cattle, there was a herd of cattle. Fish, there was a school of fish. Everything was created in multiple, many. Barabim, as we say in Hebrew. Pitom, along comes Adam HaRishon. He was created as an individual, as one. So the Chazal has all different, they go back and forth with different reasons why. This is the reason I would like to share. Kol echad ve'echad chayav lomar, because every person is obligated to say, Bishvili nivraha olam, that it's literally translated as, for my sake, the world was created. But to ward us away from being too egocentric, the Baal Shem Tov gives a beautiful, beautiful perush on this. Instead of reading, Bishvili, for my sake, the world was created, 
he has a different understanding of the phrase bishvili. It means bishvil shali, that the whole world was created so I can be in my path. Shvil is a word common to Maslul. So it's similar to, it's like the Chazal from like 300, 400, 500 CE, really were the predecessors for Rav Cook's idea of this. He was based, firmly based in the idea that Adam HaRishon was created in the singular, because even though we're all created in the image of God, each one of us is created. We have the whole world before us to find our shvil, b'shvil shali. That's beautiful. Yeah. So I guess one question that emerges for me is, how does this line up with the emphasis on community or peoplehood that people really tend to focus on when it comes to Jewish identity? Is there a danger in your mind, and I think there might be in my mind, uh, of this becoming a type of radical individualism that doesn't leave space for individuals to make the sacrifices that we all have to make uh, to live in community with one another, whether it's, you know, in order to have a minyan, a prayer quorum, we have to all show up at the same time, even though for you, five o'clock is convenient, for me, six o'clock is convenient. You see where I'm going. With I that. see where you're going, and I would agree with you, just as the opposite side of that coin is, I could be so involved with my community, I forget me. This requires a tentative uh, living. This is what we call today, it's a phrase used today, mindful living. I need to be mindful that there's a me and there's a we. And not only is there a we, but the degree to which I value community very much affects, I want to give my community my best. It's like a tapestry. The strength of the tapestry as a whole is based on the integrity of the different color threads that run through it. So let's say you may be a green thread. I'm a blue thread. For me to hope, to help and hope that that tapestry is sustainable, is beautiful, has has an aesthetic to it, has a strength to it, I need to give it the best thread I am as part of that. And that's, that's how Ralph Cook understands this. It's not for me, God forbid, to go off into my cave and just dwell on my own self-meditations. It's so I can actually strengthen my community even more by being true to my essence, which is not my ego. It's really God. So there's God in me and there's God outside of me. And everybody has their own piece. Everybody, like, like imagining a mosaic. Everybody's the special tile. Yeah. And everybody's part of it. And where do we see that also in halachah, in the halachah reality of life? In the Sefer Torah. So this week we're reading Parshat Tatseva, right? If there is a letter that is not correct in a Parsha five weeks from now or five weeks ago, the entire Sefer Torah is Pasul. It's not invalid. It's invalid. I could ask the question, but I'm not reading from that Parsha. That letter is intrinsic to the entire whole being whole. Beautiful. As an educator, which ends of that do you think is harder to teach? Is it harder to get Jewish peoplehood Jews to do that introspective work, or is it harder to get the introspective personal journeyers to connect, to want to contribute their thread to the bigger Jewish tapestry? I think today the former. I think today there's a lot of pressure to conform, both in the Western way we live in in our Western consciousness, especially in the past hundred years. And also as a lot of the students I teach don't come from an observant background. So there's this 
there's this hunger, there's this thirst to really be part of the klal, to really be part of the group, to be part of the community. And it's beautiful, and it's pure, and it's legitimate, and it's genuine, but at what cost? And that was actually a challenge I had many, many, many years ago. I came into Torah through, well, it doesn't matter, well, okay, through Chabad. And I felt I so wanted to be part of the community that I actually, looking back, I wasn't aware of it at that time because it's very subtle, but I chipped away at pieces of my integrity in order to be part of the klal, to be part of the larger whole. And then eventually it, uh, it caught up with me. It really did catch up with me. So I try today when I teach, I try to acknowledge the importance of the whole tapestry and the best way each of my students can contribute to the tapestry is to give themselves however they understand. And that's what I like to work with, is to help a person through humility, through, gra- through gratitude, through the miracle of there's a place for my piece in this big puzzle to discover what that is, and then the puzzle can become complete. And it sounds like the responsibility is on both ends. The community has to see itself oh. not as a uh, cookie cutter, uh, to try to make everybody in their image. And the individual has to take responsibility, as you said, for be, having the integrity to be true to who they are and not rush to conform to this type of uh, space. You, uh, so true. And I have to quote one of the teachings from Reb Simcha Bunim, the Prashischa Rebbe who lived in this little town in Poland and passed away in the early 19th century, 1824 actually, is when he passed away. He said the purpose of, its, of coming to a tzaddik of coming to a Rebbe, of coming to a great teacher, is not to lose yourself. It's that the tzaddik or the Rebbe or the teacher, their role, their purpose, is to help you find yourself. So we as educators, I see my role as an educator at Pardes, one of the biggest senses of my responsibility is not just that my students are fluent with the text or that they even understand the text, but it's relative to understanding themselves so that when they walk out of Pardes, they're walking into the world, they know how to be in the world. Beautiful. And we do let our students leave Pardes at a certain point. None of them are lifers, as much as we would like them to be, but they all have to go somewhere. Uh, We have time. Let's take a look at the third text that you brought us here. Yes, and this, as an educator, also as a lifetime learner, you know, when I heard that phrase at first, that the best educators are lifetime learners, I said, oh, I want to be committed to being a lifetime learner. Me too. Yes, and then I learned this piece from Rav Cook. I said, ah, this is it. Okay. Okay. So there are those who mistakenly think, shalom. So the word shalom, we loosely translate as peace. That's how we usually translate peace. That peace, ha'olami, world peace, lo yibane ki'im ayyidei tzivayon echad b'deot b'tuchunot. That world peace can only come when there is a unity, when there is a oneness of opinions and character traits. Meaning, when we're all the same. Because then we won't fight. Then we won't fight, right? Then we'll be b'shalom. And, of course, there's the philosophical question, is peace the absence of war, or is peace something greater? Well, Rav Cook will now teach to the reality, how he sees it as a visionary, that, in fact, peace is much more than the absence of war. 
there's something else going on. Because in Hebrew, the word shalom really does not mean peace. It means completion. There's a sense of completion. So he continues, V'im ken, Therefore, the, these people who mistakenly think that we all have to be the same, when they see uh, scholars of Torah engaged in research and studying in the Beit Midrash, I'm getting the words in the Beit Midrash, discovering all different opinions of the Torah, and through their own research, they actually add, they increase even more different opinions and more different approaches. So what, what is the mistake they make? They mistakenly think that by doing this, these people are causing even greater disunity. And it's the opposite of peace. I want to point out, before I finish the teaching, that in the word machloket, which we, which we usually translate as disagreement, it's a way of disagreeing where we see the same thing through different perspectives. Because in the word machloket is chilek, so you have, which means a piece. So you have a piece of the whole, and I have a piece of the whole which is contrasted with, in modern Hebrew, lehitvakeach. Vikuchim are just arguments. We don't see Chazal in the Talmud just arguing for the sake of arguing. They're really contributing their piece of perception of, of something that's, let's say, in the middle of the room. You're looking at it from this way. I'm looking at it from that way. Therefore, we have a machloket. We're discussing our pieces. So, not to be confused with just outright, well, I have to prove you're right, or you have to prove me that I'm right. That's a vikuach. That's something very different. So he says, he, he continues, This is not the way it is, meaning the people who mistakenly think that people who were researching Torah and coming up with all these machlakot are really detracting from shalom. They're really adding to the d- divisiveness. Ki shalom, and this is beautiful, Tzvi, this is so beautiful, True peace, and I want to insert the word, true completion. This can only come to be when one really understands there's a plurality in the world. We are not all the same. And to use our learning to so one can mimic the other is in no way contributing to shalom. The multiplicity, the plurality of, of peace, of completion. It's only when we see all the different sides, the different opinions, the different approaches. And to see how every piece has its place. There's a place for my opinion, there's a place for your opinion. Each person according to their particular station, their particular place, their particular uh, matter in life. To the contrary, even those matters that seem to be either superfluous or, or seem to be contradictory, in 
It's incumbent upon us to see where each of these pieces have a place. Shrak al kibutz kolachalakim only by gathering in all the pieces vakala pratim vakodeot anir ot shanot all the different particulars of opinions that seem different. Dafka al yadam, dafka specifically. This is the way through this. This is the way, in fact, he believes we will come to, to really approach the light of truth, the light of justice, knowledge, the awe and the love of God in the true light of the Torah. Beautiful. So I have to ask you, have you ever encountered an opinion or a viewpoint that you just felt has no place. Nothing constructive will come from the perspective or the opinion I just heard. Yes, and I have to say <laughs> that was more years ago than now because I've incorporated it into my daily practice, my spiritual practice, this teaching being one of the basis for that, that instead of me knee-jerk reacting against it because like, how could this person be thinking like this? What are they saying? What is over? Rather than that is, let me try to just hold it and understand where they're coming from. That's where I believe compassion. Having compassion, having a sense of being able to hold, to really hold in my life the other, really becomes an important part of spiritual practice. And you can do it even when you feel the other person's not doing that same thing for you. Oh, for, for sure. They don't have to do it for me. I'm doing it. I'm actually doing that for me so I can be more in the world. So I can be that much of a better person. Because whatever their piece is, I don't get it right now. I really, but I believe they have a piece. I believe they have a piece of the piece. (laughs) To play a play on words in English. They have a piece of the shalom. I I just don't really see it right now. And it may not be because they're not communicating the way I wish they would communicate. It could be something inside of me. There's a block. I don't know. But I know that years ago, when I sought uniformity of opinion, that was much more a part of my consciousness, that would have really caused me, like, I'd I'd be very upset about that. How can you think like that? What is wrong with you? As if I'm always right. There's also an implication here that no single person's holding the whole truth. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, exactly. Ex- that's what allows me to go beyond that knee-jerk reaction and say, well, what can you talk more? Let me, can I ask you a few questions? Try to learn from that rather than just react to that. But then you'll lose all the fun of blowing up at people and being angry and fighting. <laughs> what about that? Well, you know... Everyone has their own path. That's not part of my path. Got it. You prefer a path of gratitude and kindness. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, yes. everybody has their own opinion, I guess. We yes. Can't, yes. Uh, I hold your opinion. There you go. That's all uh, part of it. Uh, this has been great. Uh, I have learned a lot. I think everybody listening has learned a lot, uh, both from the teaching and also I think for me what's inspiring is you live these teachings. Yeah. Uh, and it's not theoretical for you. And you really... Uh, uh, had the courage, I think, to bring things that are really close to your heart, and obviously things you've struggled with. Mm. Uh, I don't get the impression you were born uh, this 
patient, open, welcoming, uh, compassionate person, but it's taken some work. Yeah. Uh, and it sounds like it takes work every day. I'm becoming that. And becoming that. <laughs> so becoming I think that, that that's also very powerful. Yeah. You know, we can read Rav Cook and like what he says, but uh, and even love what he says, but there's work to be done to bring it into our lives. Yes. Because yes. we have a lot of resistances, I think, to this kind of openness. And uh, it's a reminder of... Uh, the work is not only in studying the Torah and understanding the Torah and figuring out what it's saying, but there's a lot of work in implementation, Yes, which uh, I guess we, we all have to remind ourselves of, especially those of us who like to learn a lot of Torah. Yes, uh, yes. But it's a serious challenge. This has affected how I go about learning all text, not just the text of Rav Cook, but it goes into all text. And actually what I've come to really appreciate, another wonderful source of inspiration for me in his teachings is that he was a real visionary. And we're at a period of time now in Jewish history, there's a lot of change going on. And I would like to consider myself as a spiritual activist, where I can help contribute to where we're going ahead in our future with a positive voice, with a, with a voice of hope, with a voice of optimism, and Rav Cook helps me with that. Because... So you're optimistic. That's what you're telling me. Yes. You walk around Israel today, and we seem to be bombarded with all the problems and challenges and difficulties. And you're optimistic. Is that what you're telling me? You're that, optimistic? That's exactly what I'm telling you, yes. Well, I can testify. She's smiling right here in front of me. It's not an act. Yes. Uh, she actually looks quite optimistic. So I want to thank you so, so much for your time. You're a very busy person, and the fact that you uh, gave us your time and your Torah and your insight, uh, we're very, very appreciative, and I look forward to other thank opportunities you. to learn from you. Yes, yes, so do I, as I do with you. Thank you. Thank you. This Pardes Life is an original podcast production from the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies. For more original Torah content, please visit www.elmad.pardes.com dot o-r-g e-l-m-a-d dot pardes p-a-r-d-e-s dot o-r-g